Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the Duck Pod. I'm Austin Meek here with Ryan Thorburn. We have a really special show this week. It's Civil War week. We have two guests who know the Civil War inside and out. Rich Brooks, former Oregon coach from 1977 to 1994, will be here to share some memories of coaching in the Civil War and give his thoughts on the state of the Oregon program. We also have Ken Goh, veteran sports writer from the Oregonian. He's covered a lot of Civil War games over the years and has a great perspective on the two programs, so we'll talk to Ken about, about that. Thanks, as always, for listening to the podcast, and we'll jump in with our interview with Rich Brooks talking about some of his earliest memories from the Civil War. Rich, uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, what's your earliest Civil War memory? Well, I obviously remember... Uh back to the playing days and uh one of the fondest games i had as a player was uh my last one uh, we were playing oregon in corvallis and uh they had a 17 to 7 halftime lead and the winner of that game since neither one of us were in the conference at that time we were independents was probably going to go to the liberty bowl or a bowl anyway of some kind and uh at the halftime, uh, we were down 10 points, and uh, we came back. And at the uh, near the end of the game in the fourth quarter, I was the squid punter, the guy who kicked the ball down inside the opponent's 10 or 20-yard line. And I lined up for a punt, and we were now behind 17-14. And uh, I squibbed the ball down there, and it was bouncing and rolling, and Mel Renfro uh, wasn't sure he should try to pick it up, so at the last minute he tried to get away and it hit his leg, and we fell about, fell on it and recovered and went in and won the game uh, with a touchdown mm. at the end of the game. Wow. I, n- I hadn't heard that story before. It's cool. Um, well, Rich, as Oregon has you know, risen to be the, the national power that it's been over the last few years, so the approach has sort of been with these rivalry games to, to try to treat every game the same and not elevate one opponent above the other. But going back to when, when you took over, uh, what kind of significance did you place on, on this Oregon State game? How did, how did you treat this game as, when you were coaching well, the Ducks? you know, I, I know the, uh, the modern coaching axiom is every game is the same, uh, but every game is not the same. And certainly not a uh, rival game that has been going on for well over a hundred years and one that has had great swings in who has the upper hand and uh, and lately it's been the Ducks so uh, they 
they and the fans, I think, become spoiled and don't think it's uh, as big a game as it as it really is in reality. And uh, it's uh, I go back to my days at Oregon State as an assistant coach with DeAndros, and I think he was uh, one of the, the greatest Civil War guys of all time because he would say that we're playing for the right to live in the state of Oregon. <laughs> and, uh, and I think back in those days without the, the number of games on TV and the number of uh, social media outlets and, and talk radio and all of that, uh, the game maybe had a little more significance. Uh, and certainly uh, most of the state would usually pick a side. And, and I still feel that way. I think it's an important game. I think any time you're playing a school that is operating about 45 miles from you, it's it's a huge, huge game, particularly as this game has been for most all the years. Uh, comes at the end of the season. Uh, there was a couple years back when uh, Mike Riley was coaching at Oregon State that the winner was going to go to the Rose Bowl, and that's about as good as – that game can get, uh, and Oregon did win that game. Uh, but at, at this point, uh, I think that uh, Oregon has a chance to uh, to salvage something of their season, particularly after the win against Utah. And certainly the Beavers uh, under Gary Anderson uh, in his second year, uh, this is a huge, huge game for them. Rich, I think during your time as Oregon's head coach, I think, you were something like if it's 18 years there, I think you were like 14, three and one. Is that right? Again, in that's the correct. That's so correct. obviously the two games, you know, or Austin and I are relatively new to Oregon. The the ones we hear about the most are 1983, zero zero, and obviously 1994 with. Uh, all that Oregon had on the line and what that did for the program. Uh, what what can you tell us about those games that maybe we don't know? Well, the uh, the game in '83 was Chris Miller's uh, true freshman year. We'd pull him out of a, a redshirt year against Stanford uh, down there a couple of weeks earlier, and we actually beat Stanford uh, and John Elway. Uh, and uh, then we. Uh, came home to an absolute monsoon of rain. Uh, the steps coming down Autzen Stadium were like waterfalls. The water was cascading off. The field was crowned at that time. Uh, the sump pumps and drainage could not uh, hold the water, and we were standing on in water on our sideline, and the water was up to the edge of the fields uh, and, and our locker room flooded. It was, it was a mess. So you couldn't hang on to the ball. Uh, we missed uh, several field goals, one from 19 yards. Uh, Chris missed on a, a pass on a wide open fullback in the flat right before that nine yarder and couldn't, the ball was so wet. He couldn't, he just threw it at the guy's feet. And uh, it was a, uh, it was a hard fought game, but it is remembered fondly is the toilet bowl and, and our locker room flooded and packed up in sewage so I can understand why <laughs> that, that has that name. And what about 94? Obviously, I mean, Nick Aliotti can tell you every down and distance in that game. And Do you remember it as vividly as some of the people? Yeah, I do because it was a, a huge, huge game in that we could win an outright Pac-10 championship and, and go to the Rose Bowl 
and and certainly uh, uh, we had struggled against Pettibone's teams uh, uh, defensively. I think Rocky Long might have still been there as a defensive coordinator. We had a hard time moving the ball on his defenses, and uh, you know we we lost Kristen McLemore to an injury, and he came off. Uh, the deck uh, after being sent up to the infirmary for x-rays and stuff and came back and caught a couple of key passes and Dino Phil Yaw caught a couple of uh, key screen passes and took the uh, final one into the end zone uh, for the go-ahead score and then the defense had to make a play because uh, the Beavers moved back down the field. It was a great football game and and one uh, that with as much that was on the line for us uh, the Beavers wanted to spoil that and not have that happen just as much as we wanted it to happen. And uh, we finally got a defensive stop uh, uh, in the uh, in the end zone uh, with an interception and, and end up uh, winning the game and winning the championship. One of the really unique and cool things about Oregon is the continuity that has existed here going back to when you were the coach. You know, guys who are assistants here now that played for you or, or coached for you that have been together a long time. And even when there have been changes at the top, it's always stayed in, in the family, so to speak. Um, how much pride do you take in that to, to look at this program and still see, you know, so many guys who were part of it when, when you were here? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty special because uh, uh, maybe it means I did at least something right uh, in <laughs> the 18 years that I was there. And, and certainly when you look at a guy like Jimmy Radcliffe, who's been there uh, for a long, long time, I brought him in uh, in the uh, early 80s or mid-80s. And, and Gary Campbell, I brought him in uh, uh, as well uh, at that time. And Steve Greatwood, who played for me, was a GA for me and then left and went to the Rams uh, with me and is now back at, at Oregon. And then Don Pelham. I mean, those three coaches... Uh, uh, I think uh, have more years on on the Oregon staff than maybe any nine coaches have at any other institution mm-hmm. uh, for for many many years. I mean it's it's phenomenal, and uh, I am proud that those guys have uh, had such great success. And I know this year isn't isn't one of those years, but uh, the way they came back last week at Utah shows that uh, they still got. Uh, some fight in them and, and that uh, they still believe they can uh, get this thing turned around. Rich, I'm sure there were, you know, years where you guys didn't have good seasons and you were feeling a little heat and, you know, Oregon back then stuck with you through thick and thin. Now we live in this Twitter age where, you know, Mark Helfrich is the worst coach ever some days and, and beats Utah on other days. What do you kind of view the situation at Oregon and, and their head coach um, from a distance now, what do you think is going on there? Well, I think if you look back in the old days, uh, uh, you know, my salary was, wasn't very much. Uh, and if uh, the only reason I ever got raised is when they fired a coach at Oregon State that I'd beaten so many times they had to bring in a new one. <laughs> and every time Oregon State hired a coach, they gave me more money than I was making. So I think the administration felt bad, so they gave me a little bump at that time. And uh, and certainly with salaries as they are today, uh, there's a great higher expectation. Uh, the fans have been uh, 
uh, spoiled with the, the greatest era in football in Oregon history, and one of the greatest eras maybe uh, in 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 college football over a 20-year span. And and when you get used to that success, one bad season uh, can jump up and bite you pretty fast. And and uh, it's obvious that that's happened. Uh, I think Mark Elfridge is a, is a great guy, and he's embraced the university. He's embraced the fans. Uh, I think he's done a good job uh, trying to represent the university. And, you know, it's it's just tough. It's uh, the new age in, in, in anything, not only football, but it's business and, and everything. Everybody wants instant gratification, and it's not always available. And certainly... Uh, with some of the issues uh, uh, on on uh, the Oregon team this year, uh, it, it's been a difficult season. But uh, it is obvious that they have one great young quarterback, and uh, that's something to build off of. Well, Rich, it's always great to talk with you. We know you're with your family, so uh, we'll let you go. But we wish you a happy Thanksgiving and look forward to talking with you down the road. Well, uh, I do too, and it should be a great Civil War. Okay, looking forward to it. Thank you, Rich. Okay, our thanks again to Rich Brooks for joining the show. We're going to shift gears here and bring in Ken Go of the Oregonian. It is rivalry week here, but uh, no rivalry with Ken. He's one of the most respected sports writers in the Northwest and uh, a good friend as well. So we're going to pick it up with Ken talking about his early memories of covering the Civil War for the Oregonian. Ken, thanks uh, very much for joining us. Um, so how how many civil wars is this for you? Uh, what what was the first civil war you covered? Do you remember? Yeah, the first one I covered was in 1984. Um, I missed some um, uh, in the 90s and uh, 2000s because I was a roving Pac-12 or Pac-10 writer, I guess, at that time. So I was at other rivalry games often. So, Ken, you came in right after the toilet bowl. We were just talking to Rich Brooks in 1983. Um, when you look at Brooks Ledger, fourteen three one against Oregon State, uh, what do you remember about that rivalry and why uh, Brooks, who obviously played with the Beavers, did so well in it? Well, it was clear always that that game was really important to him. There, there were two games that he sort of had circled: uh, Washington and Oregon State, and um, the Huskies for I think for recruiting reasons and and the fact that they were sort of the dominant team in the Northwest and took beating Oregon for granted in the Brooks years. And then Oregon State, uh, you're right, he played there, and he badly wanted to be the head coach there. He'd been an assistant um, under uh, uh, DeAndros and uh, lobbied hard to get the job um, uh, after Andros left, and uh, Craig Furtig was picked instead of him. And I I think that never set well, and uh, Brooks is such a competitive guy i think um uh he really always wanted to show the beavers they made a mistake well this game this year sort of harkens back to some of those old school oregon oregon state games where neither team is playing for a bowl game uh certainly not the stakes that oregon has played for in the past so it's it's kind of a a throwback game for both sides in a way um you've you've seen the beavers quite a bit this year uh what What's your take on on where they are in Gary Anderson's second year? Seems like they've been more competitive. They have won a couple Pac-12 games this year, uh, but still, it's it's been kind of tough sledding for Gary Anderson so far. Yeah, I think they're significantly better, especially on offense. Um, 
last year they really struggled offensively. They never really had a quarterback that executed the system very well, at least the way they wanted to. Um, and Marcus McMarion was one of their quarterbacks last year, but he's better this year. And I think he's better in part because they, they're running the ball so much better. Um, and I, I think people at last year's Civil War saw a sign of what was to come there. Um, Ryan Nall is just a really difficult matchup. He's he's really big and he's really strong, and that's what you notice first. But if he gets through the line of scrimmage, he's really fast too. Um, the biggest problem they've had with him is keeping him healthy. But if he is healthy uh, against the Ducks in the Civil War, I think that's a really tough matchup for Oregon, especially uh, with the difficulty the Ducks have had defending the interior run. Do you think uh, Beavers fans are patient with Anderson building the dam, so to speak, and and how long do you think this rebuilding process is before, you know, they can make some hay in in the Pac-12 North, where, you know, teams like Washington State are suddenly good, and Washington seems like a a monster under Peterson. What do you think the future is with Anderson and the Beavs? That's a really good question. I think uh, Beavers fans have responded to a style which is markedly different than previous coach Mike Riley. He's a tough no-nonsense, blunt guy uh, who emphasizes being tough and being physical. And none of those things are things, I think, that spring to mind instantly when you think of Mike Riley. Um, Riley was there for a long time, and I think uh, people sort of got tired of uh, the way Riley approached the game. Um, They've really responded to Anderson. So I think a lot of that style and, and one of the reasons they are being patient with him on the field, his results haven't matched Riley at this to this point. Um, I think there's a, a belief that eventually they they will match and exceed Riley, and I think they're willing to give him three four years to do it. Uh, people point out that Colorado succeeded in its fourth year, and I, I believe isn't this Leach's fifth year? And I think those things are are pointed to as reasons why Oregon State needs to be patient and let Anderson build it from the ground up. I, I think Anderson made a calculated decision when he came in. He just sort of blew up what was there, knowing he would take his lumps last year and, and probably some this year. Uh, but he really wants to create uh, the football team in his own image, you know, tough, hard-nosed, physical, sort of you know, what you see from Utah. Yeah. Well, you've, you've made this point, and I, I think this is astute, that you know, a lot of Oregon State fans seem to have the, the opinion that Mike Riley just left the program in disarray and you know Gary Anderson was just walking into this impossible situation and you know, how could you expect him to win right away but you know yeah Mike Riley did I think they finished five and seven in his last year and it did seem like maybe they'd stalled a little bit but if you look over the course of Mike Riley's time there he never had a two-year stretch as bad as uh as what Gary Anderson has had so uh, if we shift over to Oregon now um wh- what do you think may be the lesson is for the Ducks as they consider, you know, do we stick with Mark Helfrich, who has had a lot of success this year notwithstanding, or do we do we blow it up and start over? I think fans sometimes, you know, are, are captivated by the idea of bringing in something new and, and starting fresh, but um, looking at Oregon State, is there maybe a lesson there that that's not always a quick fix? Yeah, I think so. I think if Oregon's going to make a change, they have to, the fans and the administrators and the boosters have to understand it's not going to be a quick fix in all likelihood. Um, whoever the new coach is is going to come in with his own ideas about how to do things, and the, the players he has on hand may not exactly match what he wants to do. There's there's always sort of a retooling period. It 
certainly happened for Riley at Nebraska. It happened for Chris Peterson at Washington. Um, and, and I think those guys are good coaches, but um, it takes a while to change the culture. And um, if Oregon makes a change, I think the signal of going away from the culture that, that they've had there, the sort of the, unless they coax Chip Kelly back, but I don't know if Chip Kelly wants to come back and, and um, one and nine this year isn't a big selling point if that's the mm-hmm. way you go. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to have to be prepared to, to be patient like Oregon State fans, and I don't know that that's a real patient fan base. Yeah. So how do you think uh, Saturday is going to go? Do you think Oregon State wins? And if so, <laughs> what's your – uh, how, how do you read Rob Mullen's mind if that were the case? What do you think is going to happen this weekend? That's a good question because I haven't seen Mullins be very revealing about what he's thinking. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. It, I can only answer that based on if I was in his shoes. I would say uh, win or lose the Civil War, and I think there's reasons Oregon State could win. I think the Ducks have gotten better over the course of the season. I, I think we saw that against Utah. Um if, if I were making the decision and, and given the, the kind of buyout that Oregon's going to be on the hook for if, if they cut this coaching staff loose, I'd give him another year. I'd see you know, where they uh, are next year with a, a quarterback that, that'll be a little more established and, and, and certainly has all the intangibles. Now he needs experience, uh, which he's gotten this year. I think he's going to be a better player next year. You know, uh, I think the defense is going to be better. It was better against Utah. I think that's another point you can say that that they have improved. Um, so I, I give him another year and, and sort of make that the the line of demarcation, and you know, take the next step next year. Show that 2016 was a one-year aberration, and and um, let's see what happens. I, I, Allison, by the way, I thought your column today was really good in that oh, way. I mean, yeah, they may have you. to they may have to adjust their expectations of of, of what they expect. I, I don't think it's uh, reasonable or logical to think that Oregon's going to be in the college football playoff mix every year. And if you're going to set the standard there, I think you better be prepared to be perennially disappointed. Yeah. Well, I do think it is kind of interesting to contemplate, you know, the similarities between Mark Helfrich and, and Mike Riley because they sort of have the same same rap as being, you know, good coaches who are maybe just a little bit too, you know, too nice or too regular, <laughs> whatever words you want to use to describe them. But, you know, if you look at what Mike Riley did over the course of his tenure there, you ask Oregon fans, would you take that? And a lot of them right now would say, no, we think we should be better than what Oregon State was under Mike Riley. And you know, if, if that's what they want, then, hey, you know, more power to them, I guess. But I guess I'm sort of of the opinion that, you know, if, if for a school like Oregon, if you can win seven or eight games most years, and your good years, you get up to 10, 11, 12 wins, and your bad years, maybe you're down to three or four wins, but then you bounce right back up. I don't know. I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world for Oregon. But. No, I think that's realistic, to be honest. And um, I think you need to maybe look at what Mike Price did at Washington State. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of his tenure, he took the Cougars to the Rose Bowl twice. Now, they weren't good every year. and It was sort of the pattern that you're talking about. Um, but when he, he got the pieces together in the right place, he's a pretty good coach, and they were a darn good team. So um, with, with Oregon's, the size of Oregon's population, the, the fan base, the recruiting base, 
I mean, I just don't know if they have enough gadgets in the Hatfield Dowling complex mm-hmm. to make up for all that, especially when you're going head to head with USC and Alabama for recruits. Yeah. Well, hey, Ken, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes for this. Um, have a great Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the press box on Saturday. Okay, thanks, guys. You guys have a good holiday, too.